All right, well, in the next two weeks, this week and next Sunday, what we're going to be talking about is um, for our church, where we want to see our church going and the direction that we want to kind of encourage our people to go in the next five years, kind of loosely, but... um, but with a lot of prayer, we, we've been saying that this is kind of our five-year focus statement where this is where we want to go. Or we want to put all of our efforts as a church, as Church of the Beloved for all the campuses. In the next five years, this is what we want to pay attention to the most. This is what we want to uh, direct and guide our people to the most. Uh, if you've been with our church for some time, whether it's uh, uh, our Sunday service, you, you might have heard this, or, or you've been to our website, or you've been to a, a Jumpstart class, or a membership class, or maybe you've been here since the beginning uh, of our church, you've probably uh, heard our vision and mission statement before. And I just want to present this to you one more time, just in case there might be someone here that uh, is here for the first time and you, you've never heard this. I want you to know uh, what our mission is as a church, uh, 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 what we're really about. And so our mission statement is this. We exist to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. We exist to see the gospel transform people into spirit-filled disciples who know they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone alone. That mission statement has been with us since the beginning of our church, and it, it's going to stay with us. It's, it's, um, it's what we're about. But for the next five years, what we want to do is uh, present to you guys this particular statement that will help us understand kind of the two major things that we want to put our attention to, and it's this. It's helping people know God and discover their mission. Helping people know God and discover their mission. I think as a church, uh, in the last seven or eight years or so, we've done a pretty good job of, uh, of sharing the gospel with people, sharing the gospel with you, helping us to understand what the gospel is about, what the message is, and living lives that come out of that. And, but when you look at the mission statement, the gospel is not just the... Um, end of it, but we want to see the gospel transform us into spirit-filled disciples, which is why the next five years we want to help you, we want all of our people in our church to, to know God and to discover their mission. We want to see you into spirit-filled disciples. I think it's important for you to know that uh, the elders and the leaders of our church, that our primary focus as a church is not to see our services full, though that is a prayer that that many would hear, come and hear the gospel. But our our main agenda is not to fill up our seats and see our services full. Our main agenda at Church of the Beloved is to see our people full. Our people full of God's spirit, of God's love, of the gospel, God's spirit full in us, the fullness of Christ in us, transforming us, renewing us as we cultivate a daily walk with Jesus. We find it so important uh, that, that this daily walk with Jesus, um, so important because it, 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 it's, it's how we're actually filled. It's, it's how we become spirit-filled Disciples, And so today as we talk about that first part, helping people know God, helping you to know God, what we envision for our church and for you guys is for us to have a daily walk with Jesus by abiding in his word. Have a daily walk with Jesus by abiding in his word. Because the word of God is how we actually develop this walk with God. You guys might have heard this before, you know, maybe in church or or growing up. We talk about a relationship with God or a fellowship with God as this walk, 
right? This, this walk with God. And it's true that, that life with God is much like a walk with God. As we journey every day through the seasons, through the years, uh, it, it's like this walk we have with God. And what fuels our walk, what empowers our walk, what helps us to walk in the right direction and not, not you know, uh, go off to the right or to the left, but to walk in the, the way of Jesus, what helps us is the Word of God. You can't have a walk with God without the Word of God. Those two things actually work together to help us become uh, spirit-filled disciples. And so the Word of God is how we develop this walk with God. If you were to, if, if I were to maybe um, think about what would, be the, what would be the one thing that we just take away from church or take away from a Christian, if I were to try to separate you from God. I, I, thought about, I thought about, you know, what would be that one thing? Would it be um, small groups? Would it be praise? Would it be fasting? Would it be church programs? What would that one thing be that I would want to take away if I were to try to pull you away from God? And you know what it comes down to for me is this. I would probably want to take away the Bible. That if, that if I take away the Word of God, I think there, there's a... a, a, there's a um, um, there's a reality there that it's going to take you away from having a walk with God. I've been reading this book called uh, The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by uh, a guy named Donald Whitney. I want to encourage you guys to read it and pick it up. For those of you guys that uh, want to really focus on just growing and, and, and using the spiritual disciplines as a means of, of growth. But in the opening chapters, he spends the first two chapters on what he calls Bible intake. Just Bible intake, just, uh, and not just reading the Bible, but also hearing the preached word of God, uh, having the word of God uh, spoken through the body of Christ, just having the word of God uh, as part of your daily life, he's talked about. And he quotes this pastor um, and scholar professor by the name of J.I. Packer. And he says this, he says that J.R. Packer makes the point that if he were the devil, which he wasn't, right? But if J.R. Packer was the devil, he said one of my first aims would be to stop people from digging into the Bible. He says that would be the first thing. And I thought, why, why would he say that? And, and, it, and I, I don't think I disagree, but it made me question why he would do that. And then I realized that that's the exact thing the enemy wanted to do in Genesis chapter 3 right? It's what the enemy did to Adam and Eve. Early on in the first pages of scripture, what we find is that when you question God's word, when you start to mistrust God's word, when you start to not have an understanding of God's word, when it's all twisted and confused and it's not being uh, um, taken in and obeyed, what happens is it takes you apart from a walk with God, right? When the enemy came in Genesis came to Adam and Eve, the enemy said, what did God really say? Did God really say? Didn't question prayer, didn't question their, their you know, whatever, like everything, anything else. It, basically, the enemy came and wanted to question the word of God because I think the enemy knew that if you take away the word of God, you're going to take away their walk with God because those two things go together. What we have in Psalm chapter 1 today, and I, I think... Um, uh, the Lord really led me to this passage today because what, what Psalm chapter 1 opens up with is this understanding of, uh, of what God's word can actually do in our lives. What, what God's word was actually meant to do in our lives. And, and so it says, that, it says in Psalm chapter 1 that blessed is simply, blessed is the one who builds his life upon the word of God. Blessed is the one who builds his life 
upon the word of God. What this psalmist is saying is that through the word of God is how blessing from God comes. That blessings of God flows out of a life that's built upon his word. Then when we actually live life, not our way, but God's way, and we're rooted and planted in his word, then actually there's this blessing from God. And I'm not talking about, you know, the kind of blessing where everything you touch turns to gold. But the word blessed here is the word asher, meaning happiness. There is this inner uh, fruit that is produced inside of you as the word of God is being um, lived out in your life. So one of the reasons why I love Psalms is is because it's like this ancient uh, book of wisdom, wisdom for all of life, wisdom for every season of life, wisdom for every day of life. I think Psalms, in many ways, it's like this roadmap. As you read through it, you're going to see all kinds of uh, uh, life situations. You're going to see all kinds of emotions uh, in the psalm. The Psalms are very real. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, pretty much it, it, can, it can speak to wherever you are in your, in your life right now. But Psalms is like this roadmap that navigates us as we walk this life with God. And Psalm 1 begins, that first word in Psalms is the word blessed, asher, happiness. Happy is, is what the psalmist is saying. Happy is the one who delights in God's word. Happy is the one who delights in God's word. And I, and I just have to ask this question here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but is there anyone here that would like to be happy? I mean, ask yourself that. That one person actually rose their hand, all right? The rest of we're just thinking about it. But I think, you know, if I were to say, hey, raise your hand if you want to be happy, I think without a question, every single person would raise their hand. Almost everything we do, if not everything we do in life, where we go, what we do, who we're with, right, is because we somehow think that that will make me happy. And we're on this, like, pursuit of happiness, only to find out that pursuing happiness doesn't actually lead us to happiness, you know, I don't, I don't know if you guys are uh, fans of Will Smith, the actor, but I grew up uh, watching, for, um, uh, what is it, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and, and, uh, and I was a big Will Smith fan. And, and I, but I don't know if you guys remember this movie or have seen it, but it's a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. And if you guys are, are you know, uh, um, maybe for the dads here, it might hit a little bit closer to home, but Will Smith plays the role of a struggling father, and he's, he has, this, he has his, actual, his, his own biological son in the movie, and he's a struggling father um, trying to provide financially for his, his family, for his son, and he can't, he can't seem to do it. He's losing his jobs. He's working hard, and, you know, he just finds himself struggling day-to-day, door-to-door sales, cold calls, and just just barely making it. And he's basically looking for this break. He's looking to be happy. He's on this pursuit of happiness. And in one line, of the, one thing he says in the movie really struck out to me, and I want to read this for you. This is from uh, the actual movie. He says, it was right then that I started to think that uh, Thomas Jefferson on the Declaration of Independence and the part about our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have, no matter what. How did he know that? Do you guys remember that line? Anybody seen the movie? He says, I'm going to read that to you again. 
And I remember thinking, how did he know to put the pursuit part in there? That maybe happiness is something that we can only pursue and maybe we can actually never have, no matter what. How did he know that? And, and Will Smith is saying this because he's at a place where he's convinced that the pursuit of happiness is only a pursuit. He's convinced that there is no person that could ever actually have happiness, that it's just all this, this just an idea or, you know, whatever. And he's just on this pursuit but can never reach it, never have it, no matter what. It's so sad. And so this is why we don't get our life wisdom from Will, right? But this is... Why we need to come back to the word. And what the word of God is actually saying though is that happiness is possible. That blessedness is possible and it is actually from God for his people. The the psalmist here is saying though that the way we experience happiness is not by pursuing happiness. And so what happens is if we just pursue happiness... We're going to end up on the wrong side of happiness, right? And what the psalmist here is trying to tell us is is that happiness or blessedness, right? The one who is blessed, the one who is happy is not the one who is trying to pursue that. But it's the one who has experienced it. And and the one who's seen God produce that in their life because this person says God's way is so much better. Because this, this is the person that say, I'm not going to pursue happiness. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue his way and his word. And so what we find in the psalmist here in chapter 1 is, is that, that happiness is not a pursuit here. Happiness is a byproduct of one that delights in the word of God, one that is, that, that is taken in uh, through the totality of their life that is constantly bringing in the word of God, rooted in the word of God, applying the word of God, and living out the word of God, maybe not perfectly, but it's the one who says when he wakes up, when she wakes up, the one that says, I cannot go through this day without God guiding me, without God's word in me. And the psalmist says, blessed is that person. Blessed is that man or that woman who delights in the law of the Lord. The psalmist talks about the blessed one, blessed is the man, by talking about two different kinds of roads. Uh, He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So one road is this road that he calls the, the, the road of the wicked, right? So he says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And at first, you might think, just by reading that, you might have thought, I think, like, you know, Pastor James, your math is all wrong because he's just described three different kinds of roads. The, the walk, uh, uh, walking in the counsel of the wicked or sit, uh, standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers. But the psalmist is actually not describing three different people on three different roads. The psalmist here is actually describing one person on one single road, but there's a progression that happens. And so when you read the psalm carefully one more time, you're going to see that there's a progression from walking to standing to sitting. 
you walk, and then you start to stand, and then you start to sit. The psalmist is saying it's the same person. And the way they begin, though, there's a progression, but the way they begin is they begin by walking in the counsel of the wicked. Means, that means that this is the person that starts to be around just the crowds who have rejected God's word and have just bought into whatever the crowd is going to do. Uh, this is the one who starts to listen to what is, what is everyone else saying? What is the popular culture saying? What does mainstream say? What does the secular world say? It's the one who has rejected God's word and has said, I'm going to just do this on my own. I'm going to figure it out on my own. And so now they're in the counsel of not God's word, but in the counsel of the world. And this is the person who just kind of begins there and he's walking amongst that. And then it says the next progression is from walking to standing. Now you're not just listening to what the world says. Now you're not just listening to other people's ideas or opinions. But now you're standing in the way of sinners, meaning he's describing the one who's now kind of moved on to the next thing. And now this person is not only just listening to the, way, the ways of the world or the ways uh, 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 you know, of, of popular opinion, but now they're actually doing what the world does. They're actually finding themselves doing what other people do, uh, what the crowd is doing, what the secular world is doing, instead of what God calls them, calls them to do. So now they're not, they're not just walking in the way of the wicked, they're standing in the way of sinners. And the last part is the one who sits in the seat of scoffers. It's the one who keeps drifting, from walking to, to standing to sitting. And this is the person that is now has passed just the listening to the world part, is now past just doing what the world does, but has gone so far off that they're now sitting in the seat of scoffers. And the, the, this is the kind of person that um, instead of God's word being a delight, they make light of God's word. They make fun of other people who obey God's word. They, they scoff at believers. They, re, they not only just reject personally uh, what God's word says, but they bring other people down with them. It's funny, when I um, came to know Christ at the age of 16, I don't know if I shared this with you guys before, but um, you know, I had a pretty radical conversion and transformation. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have kind of this, you know, um, kind of this... Uh, uh, you know, conversion that kind of happened over time. I had just like, like an Apostle Paul, you know, kind of a one moment, uh, just saw the lights, you know, Christ opened my heart, kind of just radical change overnight. And so a lot of my friends didn't actually, uh, well, well, some of them didn't really even believe that, that what happened to me was actually genuine. They thought it was just phase I was going through. Um, but then some of them actually started to, you know, make fun of me and, and say, man, you, you're not the same person. And, and then I remember one guy that, you know, every time I would try to invite him to my house, he was a close friend of mine, and I would try to uh, read the Bible with him and share the Bible with him. I would ask him, hey, if you want to come over and we'll read the Bible together. If, you know, if we have any questions, we can try to understand it together. We can pray together. And then he would scoff at me. He would actually make fun of me. Eventually, he started calling me Bible man. But he, he did it in a more of a, you know, insulting way, Bible man. And so my, I mean, we, you know, we're still friends. But he was like, man, you're Bible man now, right? You're Bible man. 
And, and, the, and then some of my other friends who were Christians kind of to get back at him called him Satan because, you know, he was, like, he, he was like the devil bringing me down, you know. And, um, but my, my nickname for, for a short time became Bible Man because this guy who had, you know, just completely rejected the Bible, just, you know, it wasn't enough for him to keep it to himself, but he wanted to bring me down with him. But it's funny because um, probably about 10 years later, I think it was in my mid-20s. I was preaching at a church, and in the uh, first few rows, I noticed someone that I haven't seen in, in many years, and it was Satan himself. It was, uh, it was my friend that called me Bible man who had rejected God's word in high school. He had come to know Christ at some point and been part of that church, and I got invited to speak at that church, and it was such a blessing uh, for me to see Satan transform into a, a spirit-filled disciple. But, um, and, and he actually, you know, eventually got baptized, but but it, it, it reminds me, this psalm reminds me that there are people who, who it's not just good enough to just reject the Bible on their own, but they go as far as to bring Christians down and uh, to, to really bring God, the name of God down. And, and this is what happens when you start to drift from walking in the counsel of the wicked to standing in the way of sinners. And what happens is you eventually come and you sit at the place where you're now... Um, making fun of those who actually abide in God's word. It's actually that one road he's talking about. It's the same road. You walk, and then you start to stand with them, and then you start to sit with them. But then the psalmist is talking about, then there's another road. See, with that first road, he says, that road leads to death. That road doesn't lead to life. But then he says, there's another road, and he talks about the blessed man. He says, but the one who is blessed... The one who will bear much fruit, the one who, who has life, the one who is flourishing, the one who is who's, who's happy is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, meaning the Bible and the scriptures, he meditates on it day and night. Right? So he's talking about these two roads, the, the, the way of the wicked and then the one who delights in the law of the Lord. You know, when I was reading the psalm, I thought, and I began to understand, the psalmist is not talking about a bunch of different roads. It's just talking about two roads. One who's walking in the way of the wicked and one who's walking in the way of the word. And then I thought to myself that, you know, that's as simple as it is. You know, either you're building your life on the word or you're not. As simple as that is, I realized that for most of us, most of us would probably say, I don't think I'm on either road. That I think that most of us would, would say honestly that I don't know if I'm really building my life on God's word every day, but I don't, I don't think I'm wicked. I don't think I'm walking in the counsel of the wicked. I don't think I'm, I'm doing what sinners do. I don't think I'm scoffing at anyone. And I think if we're honest, we would probably say that, um, we, we would probably be inclined to say that I'm on neither road, Right? Until you understand what wicked actually means. The word wicked here, when it says that um, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. See, when we think of wicked, we think of someone who does something really just evil, outrageously evil. But that's not what the psalmist is talking about. Let me, let me put it to you this way. There's a scholar named Clinton McCann. He says this. He says, what is so unsettling about all of this is what Psalm 1 and the rest of the Psalter calls wickedness is perhaps 
what North American culture promotes as the highest virtue, autonomy, being a law unto oneself, self-made people, sovereign, subject to none. See what the Psalter calls wickedness? This scholar is saying North American culture promotes as one of its highest virtues, which is autonomy, to be a law unto oneself, to wake up in the morning and to say, I'm going to do life my way. I'm going to go about this day my way. To say, I, I don't want to submit to God. I don't want to abide by his word. I will go and do whatever I want. I, I, will, I will be a law unto myself. Um, I'm subject to none. And so what the Psalter is really saying is that those who walk in the counsel of the wicked are not those who actually do outrageously evil deeds, but it's the one who says, my opinion matters more than God's. My word matters more than God's. It's the one who lives by their own rule instead of God's word. It's the one who says, I will, I will rather listen to the crowd and I would rather listen to the world over God. And, and that's not outrageously wicked at first glance, but that's what the Psalter is talking about. Either you build your life upon the word of God or you don't. Either you're on a road that leads to death or you can be on the road that leads to incredible life. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So the one who is blessed, the one who is happy, the one who rejoices, is the one who has rejected the way of autonomy. It's the one who says the song that we just sang, so much better is your way. It's the one who joyfully embraces God's word daily, and so he meditates on it day and night. He's the one that says, without God's word, I am utterly lost in my life. I think I know a lot. I, I, I may have degrees. I, I may be educated, but it's the one who looks at his own life or her life and can honestly say, without God, I am utterly lost. And so because of that, I have God's word that teaches me how to walk and how to walk with God. You see, the, this man and this woman, the particular person that the Psalter is talking about, is that this person sees the law of the Lord not as a burden, but an incredible blessing. Because by it, God positions this person every day so that in due season, he or she can bear much fruit. I don't know if you guys... Um, drive a lot in this city, but being from California, I still, I'll confess, I still drive a lot. And, um, you know, yesterday I took my son to the Winchester Arena, to the, uh, uh, of, to the Winchester Arena for the NBA All-Star. You guys know this? NBA All-Star uh, weekend, and tonight is the actual game, and, and I, you know, I can't, I can't afford that. So I, I said, I'm going to take my son to the, the practice session, right, where they're, they're just literally throwing the ball around and just not, taking nothing seriously. But it's still a good time. But here's the thing I wanted to share with you guys. It's only about three blocks from my house, and my wife still drove me there. I'm still, I'm st like, that's how much uh, of a Californian I still am. I, I'm still not used to walking. So I, I like to drive everywhere. But um, I found myself, you know, almost every time I get in the car, one of the first things I do is I'll get out my phone and I'll open my GPS. Uh, I'm one of those that I don't even have just one GPS system, but I have three. Anybody here like me? 
right? You, you can't just have one. You need Waze, and then you need the, uh, the Apple Maps, and then you need the, uh, the Google Maps. And, and I have three different kinds. Maybe some of you guys have more than that. But sometimes I actually put the address into all three just to see which one is better, which one takes me there faster, which one is more accurate, right? But there's probably rarely a time I'll get in the car and start driving without opening my GPS, that's how lost I am in the city of Chicago, right? That's just, that's just how much I need to depend on my GPS to get from one place to another. You guys ever think about, like, you guys ever had that thought? How did people do this before technology? You, you ever think about that? Well, I, I you know, I, I guess, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but I've lived long enough to say, I, I remember. I remember what life was like before the GPS. There used to be this 500-page book called the Thomas Guide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Thomas Guide was this 500-page book that people would have in their car that basically had maps of every city, wherever you are, and you would just follow the map. And then you would sometimes stop and go to the gas station and ask people, like, where to go, and, and then that's kind of how you did it. But then, like, how did people do that even before the Thomas Guide? How did people get around? I realized, like, for me, the GPS is kind of a reminder for me of how much I need God's word in my life. That when I get up in the morning and until the, the time I go back to bed, the, how prideful of me to think that I know exactly where I'm going that day. That I know exactly how and what I need to do that day. How I need to uh, respond to people. And how, you know, just, just the, the heart that I need to have. The, the mindset that I need to have. And, you know, I just, I just how prideful of me to think that, that to wake up one day and say, God, I got this, I've got this on my own. You know, the Bible is much like a GPS for us spiritually. Because what the GPS does is it tells you where you are, it tells you what to avoid, and it tells you how to get to where you need to go. In much the uh, same way, the Bible has a way of speaking to you and revealing to you where you are. You guys are probably experience it at some point in your life when you're reading the Bible and it just hits you and you're just struck or maybe you, you've, you're under the preaching of God's word and you're hearing God's word and you're like how does that preacher know exactly what I'm going through you ever been there the word of God has a way of revealing to you where you are in life with your walk with God and it also has a way of showing you what to avoid and where not to go but then also tells you where you need to go and what a life with God looks like. The GPS is God's positioning system. God's positioning system. God positions you where he needs you to be so that in due season he can bear much fruit. The reason why we find ourselves in life and many times without any fruit, we're like this tree that's just barren, no life, just existing. You ever been there? The reason for that is We've decided not to be rooted in God's word. But the psalm says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. And then watch what it says after. He is like a tree. I think this is for the woman too. He or she is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The reason why this person is blessed 
is not just because they love what the Word of God teaches and, God, and how the Word of God guides, but he or she sees the end result of a life that's rooted in God's Word, that the end result is a life that bears much fruit. It, it's, it's like a tree that in the, 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 the incredible, excruciating heat and sun in the Middle Eastern um, season, it's, it's the one that doesn't dry out and doesn't wither. But that word to be planted, it actually the Hebrew, it means to be replanted. The one who is in God's word is like a tree that's actually replanted, taken out of where there's dryness and replanted where there's streams of living water so that it can bear much fruit. The word of God positions you and repositions you out of a place of dryness and to a place of living water, so that in due season you would have much fruit. One scholar on the Psalms, he says the Torah is the Lord God's graciously extended hand to steady us on our feet like a child learning how to walk. Because the word of God enables, to, enables us to have this walk with God. Blessed is the man who meditates on his word day and night. That he, in the Hebrew, this, um, this concept of meditating day and night is not to be taken literally, though, though probably this person does so. Um, but it, it's, it's talking about one who, who is constantly repeating, constantly ingesting, constantly taking in and thinking about all of the law of the Lord, all of God's word, all of its implications for that person day and night, meaning there isn't a beginning or an end. It's just, it's just kind of throughout the whole day from the moment he or she wakes up and to the moment he or she goes back to bed, kind of throughout the whole day, the word of God is just being on display, being remembered, being reflected on. There is a, maybe a word or phrase or verse, though they didn't have numbers back then, there, there's something that their, their mind is upon throughout the whole day. It's, it's not that just in the morning you meditate and at the nighttime you meditate, but it's kind of talking about the totality of your day, the totality of your life. And so when you, church, think about the totality of your life, I'm not, I'm not talking about did you do your Bible study today, did you do your devotion today, but when you think about the totality of your life, through the years and through the seasons, do you have the word of God? Are you like this tree that's planted or replanted so that in season it can bear much fruit? Like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. See, what the psalmist is teaching us here is that the Word of God is not a microwave oven that produces instant food. The, the Word of God, let me say that again because I think this is important for us. Because I don't know about you, but I've been there many times where I come to the Word of God as if it's a microwave oven. And if I just put something in there and I just take something out, I'll have something instant. But the word of God, what this psalm is trying to teach us is that the, word, the way God designed his word is not like a microwave oven that produces instant junk food. The word of God is actually something that, is, um, that, that actually waters 
that waters our soul, the garden of our soul, that over time, not, it may, not maybe instantly, You know, it wouldn't be so much easier to read the Bible every day if every single time we open it, there's something instantly that we're impacted by or something instantly that we notice, you know. Though that happens, that's not the goal. The goal is not for us to have instant moments, but for us to have over time to see this. It's like a tree that starts to produce fruit over the course of, of its life. See, I think one of the challenges for us, if I can be honest, of having the Bible um, in our lives and daily Bible intake in our lives is that we often settle for a feeling rather than the fruit. The Bible promises that the one who delights in the law of the Lord, the one who sees, uh, uh, who, who goes to the word of God and builds his life on the word of God, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit. And I think our trouble is that we, instead of waiting for the fruit, we've settled for a feeling. And so when we go to the word of God, we just want some sort of feeling. We go, oh, I want it to hit me. Oh, I want it to touch me. Oh, I want it to speak to me. And we settle for the feeling when the goal of the word is to produce fruit. Amen by myself. I mean, wouldn't it be easier, though, if every time we read the Bible, it produced some kind of feeling? That would be awesome, and that does happen. But again, the goal of the word of God is not to produce some kind of feeling, but it's to produce incredible fruit over the course of your life. And fruit, fruit is how you know you've been planted. Fruit is how you know you've been planted. Somebody could walk around and say, man, I feel God's presence. I feel God's love. I feel like I'm growing. And my response is, let's wait for the fruit. Because feelings can come and go. But you cannot deny the fruit. See, fruit is how you know you're planted. Just the other day, I was um, putting my son Benjamin to sleep, and, um, you know, he was changing into his pajamas, and I noticed that his pajamas that he's, you know, been wearing for the last year has, uh, has gone, like, you know, incredibly short on him. And he's, like, flooding. You know, you guys know flooding? Like, where, where the, the bottom of his pants are, like, way above his ankles. You know, like, and he's not trying to be, like, a hipster. It's just he, just, he just outgrew his pajamas like crazy. And I don't know why I didn't notice it before, but I, 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 I was shocked. I said, Benjamin, you're, like, you're, you're growing out of your pajamas. And, and, I, and, and then I, I just had to ask my son this question. I said, I said, Benjamin, you're growing. And I asked him this question. I said, Benjamin, can you feel yourself growing? I said, can you feel yourself growing? And what do you think he said? He said, no, I can't. He said, no, I can't. And I didn't sit there trying to argue with him. How do you not feel yourself growing when obviously you've grown? Because when you look at your pajamas, they're too short on you. I didn't argue with him. Because the way growth works is that you often don't feel it. See, my son was telling the truth and I believed him. That, that, that he wasn't trying to lie to me. 
right? You can ask a four-year-old and ask, can you feel yourself growing? And their honest answer would be no. Because growth is not something you feel. Growth is something you see. And you, you see it by the fruit. You, you, you can measure it. How do you know you've been planted in the word of God? You measure it by the fruit. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord and over the course of his life or her life has been like one, like a tree that's been replanted by streams of living water where maybe not instantly but over time bears incredible fruits. Your fruit depends on fellowship. Without fellowship with God, you will have no fruit. Your fruit in your life, and, and not to compare the fruit of other people, I'm talking about your fruit, the fruit that God wants to produce in your life. Your fruit depends on fellowship. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing and so it is the fellowship with God that actually produces the fruit of the spirits you know I thought about this and this question actually really convicted me as well but I thought about this about you know where 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 we kind of the world is right now where are we as people living in our time in our day in our city with all of these distractions, how do we get ourselves to be in the Word of God? And I thought about, you know, how most of us, maybe not, maybe all of us, we spend 40 plus hours a week working for a paycheck or maybe 10 plus hours a week entertained by things that have no purpose and only one hour walking in His presence and we go to bed each night wondering, why am I not growing We spend 40 hours minimum a week working for a paycheck and only one hour walking in his presence. And we go to bed wondering, how come I'm not growing? How come God feels more like a stranger than a father? Why does it seem like there's no fruit? You ever been there? And I realize that it's simple math, that we're distracted, that we're torn, that we're divided, And we give all of our attention to just a paycheck or just to be entertained. And we give God these crumbs. And we expect this incredible fruit. But God has designed us to walk in his presence daily. With every breath. With every moment. It's why he gave us his word so that throughout the day, while we go about our jobs, while we go about our vocation, while we go about our social hangouts, we can still be aware and be walking in the presence of God because his word is with us. And as God's word is with us, it will start to bear fruit. You know, I I read this survey um, in this book, that I'm reading in this book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he, he notes that uh, there was a survey done um, some years ago that only 11% of Americans actually read the Bible uh, daily, which I think is very generous. And it says more than half read the Bible less than once a month or never at all. At all. 
And then he says there's another survey that says that among born-again Christians, only 18% say they read the Bible daily. 23% say they never read the Bible at all. But then he goes on to share some good news. And the good news is this. He says that statistics show that we can actually read through the entire Bible in less time than the average American sits in front of a TV every month. In other words, if most people exchange their TV time for Bible time, they would finish the Bible in four weeks or less. Isn't that crazy? If we just set aside 15 minutes or less daily in reading the Bible, we would actually finish reading the Bible in a year or less. Daily intake of God's Word is what actually produces the fruit. So I want to leave you with this quote that um, he, he has in this book. He says, Surely we have to be realistic and honest with ourselves to know how regularly we need to turn to the Bible. How often do we face problems, temptation, and pressure? Every day. Then how often do we need instruction, guidance, and greater encouragement? Every day. To catch all these felt needs up into an even greater issue, how often do we need to see God's face, hear his voice, feel his touch, and know his power? The answer to all these is the same every day. As the American evangelist D.L. Moody put it, a man can no more take in a supply of grace for the future than he can eat enough for the next six months or take sufficient air into his lungs at one time to sustain life for a week. We must draw upon God's boundless store of grace from day to day as we need it. What he's saying here is that the way if we were to compare it to like eating physical food and physical meals, nobody here eats, eats 20 meals in one sitting and says, I'm good for the rest of the week. You eat one meal at a time. And he says that's the same way that we ought to approach God's word. We don't try to go about God's word and say, I'm going to just take in as much as I can for the week and then I'll be good. And then I'll come back in the next week. He says we we need to take in as much as we can for that day and then go to God again the next day and the next day. And Jesus says, for man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. You know what Jesus said there that I often missed? He says, every word, meaning Jesus assumes Every word is heard, and every word is applied. God wants you and I to know every word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And every day in his word prepares us for every season of our lives. Every day in his word will prepare us for every season in our lives. And he will be and she will be like a tree that's planted by streams of water that will bear much fruit. Would you bow your heads with me?